John 1, 35 through 46. Again, the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and said unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwelleth thou? He said unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelled, and abode with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard him heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is, being interpreted, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and find a Philip, and said unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and said unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses, in the law, and the prophets, did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Peter said unto him, Come and see. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, this morning I want us to continue looking at our theme for the month of Who is Your One? I'd invite you to take your copy of the scriptures or whatever contains them and turn back to the gospel according to John. Uh, John chapter 1. We'll be looking at a couple of passages this morning and we'll be talking about a couple of people. Uh, And as we think about disciple making, Uh, And what God has called us to do and to be as disciple makers, uh, then we can get a lot of uh, encouragement uh, from these two men, what they were and what they did. I want to start out, though, with um, verse 6 and just read a few verses. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Now, that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Father, thank you so much again for this day. Thank you for your love for us. As always, we always say that because it's always been true. We don't ever want to depart from that. If it were not for your love, there would be no sense in living. But thank you for your abundant love. And in your love, you sent your son 
And now you allow us to sit at your feet that we may learn more about him. As Pastor used to say, the Bible has one subject and one predicate. The subject is Jesus, and the predicate is all about him. So we delight, Father, to know a bit more about him as you uh, expose, exposit, expound the scriptures. And we pray that we'll be attentive to you as you speak, that only you will be heard. We pray that the mind of Christ will give us fruitful understanding. And we pray for a heart of receptivity and obedience to all that you have called us to be and to do. And Father, bind Satan, we always ask because we don't want him to have anything to do with what goes on today. May he be hindered. And may your word and your will and the loveliness of your son be lifted up. And Father, we'll give you the praise and the honor and the thanksgiving. We thank you for these things and ask them in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. There was a Sunday school teacher once named Edward Kimball. And Edward Kimball had his heart set on reaching a particular young man that was in his Sunday school class, an 18-year-old named Dwight. And, of course, um, he prayed about it. And then Dwight worked in his father's shoe store. And so he set up a meeting. He was going to go down to the shoe store where young Dwight sold boots, and he was going to talk to him about his relationship with God. And he says in his own words, I was determined to speak to him about Christ and about his soul, and so I started down to Holton's boot store, and when I was nearby there, I began to wonder whether I ought to go in uh, just then doing business hours. I thought, My call might embarrass the boy, and that when I went away, the other clerks would ask who I was and taunt him with my efforts in trying to make him a good boy. In the meantime, I had passed the store, and discovering this, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over at once. But I found him in the back part of the building, wrapping up shoes. I went to him at once and put my hand on his shoulder I made what I felt afterwards was a very weak plea for Christ. I I don't, don't just know what words I used, nor could he tell. I simply told him of Christ's love for him and the love Christ wanted in return. That was all there was. It seemed the young man was just ready for the light shot that broke upon him, for the light then, excuse me, broke upon him, and there in the back of that store in Boston, Dwight L. Moody gave himself and his life to Christ. I don't think that Edward Kimball knew that D.L. Moody would become the great evangelist that he was or that he would become the principal architect for uh, deal or Moody Bible Institute or all of the other things that God would do through this man. He just cared about one young man's soul. And he wanted to reach that one. And reaching that one was all that mattered and that's what God allowed him to do. We're grateful. The world has benefited from the fact 
that he reached just that one person. I want to say to you this morning, I don't know if you'll ever reach anybody that will become a D.L. Moody. I really don't care. What I care about is that you do the work that God has called you to do. That you ought to pray specifically and directly about who it is that God would want you to reach for his glory. Last week we started, we talked about this paralytic and how he had some true friends that cared enough about him to spare no effort to get him to Jesus. And that's a good word for us. This morning I want us to think about the importance of the one And I I read this first part beginning in John chapter 6 because before we get to these two young men that uh, Brother Richburg read about, I want us to to just take a quick second and talk about this guy here, John. You see, there are three things I want to say about finding your one. And the first thing I want to say is that finding your one, there, there are three things about what John does that I want us to consider. Perhaps God wants us to do and to be. Three highlights of an effective witness. Going back to verse 6, I want you to notice something. It's really in verse 7, but it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light. And and when I first read that, I thought that was kind of strange, perhaps redundant, that he says he came for a witness, and then he says to bear witness, And then as I got a little older in my faith, I said, oh, wait, wait. He came to to be a witness. And then he came to bear witness. In other words, he was to to be a certain kind of person. He was to live the kind of life that spoke of the fact that God was in his life and leading him. And then he was to, to talk about Christ. You see, many times... Uh, we find that we, we aren't as careful on both ends of the coin. We have, to, we have to be something before we can say something. And sometimes we want to talk, and it's easy to talk a good game. But you know, the proof is in the pudding. Amen. Well, three things about John that I want to point out. You look at verse 23, and The Pharisees sent some people uh, to John, verse 19, and and they said, who are you? And he says, I'm not the Christ. He says, are you Elijah? No, I'm not. Are you that prophet? Some thought the prophet Elijah, excuse me, the prophet Jeremiah might actually appear in the latter days. Are you that prophet? He says, no. And then they say, verse 22, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And I want you to notice, he says, I'm, I'm just, verse 23, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the path of the Lord, the way of the Lord. That, that's all. You see, there are a couple of things I want to point out. Number one, John, John was honest. You know, they say, who are you? Are, are you Elijah? <laughs> no, I'm not. You, are, are, you, are you the Christ? No, I'm not. Are you that, pro- you know? He's, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not that person that you think I am. You know, sometimes people, people will put you up on a pedestal, and you know you don't belong up there. 
they probably know that too, but anyway, they're just being nice. I was talking to a lady one time, I think I shared with you before. I was telling her, I was sharing the gospel with her and saying that, you know, the Bible says that we're all sinners. You know, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. And she said, you know, Ray, I don't believe you've ever done anything wrong in your life. You really don't know me. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, some people, they, they see what God has done in your life, and they, they make it about you. And, you know, it's easy to, to, to soak that up. But John said, no. I mean, he's being honest. He said, no, I'm not who you think I am. I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not that prophet. No. You know, he was very honest. And then not only that. He was, he was humble. He said, I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm, I'm a nobody. You know, sometimes we, we find it hard to be nobodies. You know, that old song, I'm just a nobody, trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. That, that's all I am. You know, nothing special about me. But he humbled himself. You look at verses 24 through 28. I put the, the um, New American Standard uh, version of it up there. He says, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked them, why are you baptizing if you ain't nobody? I mean, if you aren't the Christ or Elijah or the prophet. And he says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know he, it is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. I, I'm a nobody. He's everything to everybody. You know, I find that sometimes, you know, we it's easy to talk about ourselves and it's to talk about the one who is the all-lovely one. He may not make his way into the conversation at all. But that's not the way it was with John. He didn't make it about him. He made it about Christ. The third thing about John, the thing I really like the most, though, you get down to verses 35, 37. Verse 35, it says, The next day John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. I like that. He's a guy. See what he's doing? He's, he's pointing out Jesus. All of the people that come by, he's pointing out Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But it says the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, two people who were following John, and he was pouring his life into them. And it says, verse 36, he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples they heard him speak, and then they started following Jesus. He pointed out Jesus to them. He didn't say, "Well, y'all, go, y'all, wait." No, he pointed Jesus out to them so that that they could follow Jesus, and that's the desire and the delight of our hearts, isn't it? To raise up people who who follow Jesus. Now, I like the way that John tells the story. Why? Because John. Uh, he points, he says there are two people, these two men that are following Jesus. And, you know, in, in, in this whole um, chapter, he only records a conversation between Jesus and these two men. 
Now, he doesn't do this with any of the other disciples, but he points out the fact that, that when John pointed out these two, they followed Jesus. They spent the whole day with them. They, they come and they say, well, well, Jesus asked them, well, what are you looking for? And they say, Rabbi, teacher, where, where are you staying? He said, well, you know, come and see. That you know, come and see is his way of saying, yes, you can come and spend time with me, which is what they really wanted. And they spent that whole day with Jesus. Spending time in fellowship with him, which is, of course, the goal of every disciple. Now, I believe that John points out these two men uh, because as, as if you're tracking your notes, I put down something about personality types, finding your one. And I want to point out the fact that we're, we're all different. That we're not all the same, right? God uses different people to reach different people. Now, you, you got Andrew, right? Andrew, Andrew's that extrovert. We're going to find out. Andrew, he's one of those outgoing people, really friendly, easy to get along with. He relates to people easily. You know, I was thinking, my wife told me, don't be calling people's names out, so I'm not going to call Buddy's name out today. <clears throat> um, but, you know, he's an example. You know, I'm not, not saying Buddy's the example, but he's an example of a person who's really outgoing. Everybody knows Buddy, right? He's really friendly. When you think of the word sanguine, the temperament type, He's probably the first person that comes to your mind. He's really bubby. It's not because he's from New York. It's because he just has that personality, right? But he's really fun-loving, fun to be with, you know. And when you invite people to church, first thing you want to do is you want to introduce them to Buddy because then they'll say, you know, this is a friendly church, right? Because he's just a really friendly, bubbly guy. Not everybody's sanguine like that, but he's a people person. You know, my wife's a people person. And she's not sanguine. She's not like she's probably more melancholy, if you would pick a temperament type, not in a morbid sense, but in the sense that, that you know, she she's very, 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 she's hard to describe. She's indescribable. <laughs> but I, I can tell you this about her. She's, she's just one of those people that just meets people and just loves people. And the next thing you know, she's talking to people. I told you, we we went to Japan, and my daughter and I, and well, the three of us, we're, we're walking, and we're going to this castle. We drove, flew, uh, took a bullet uh, train all the way out to Kyoto, and we're there. We want to see this castle, and it's all the way up the hill, and my wife said, y'all go on. I ain't going up that hill. I'll be here when y'all get back. So Candace and I, we make a mad dash. We go up the hill. We tour the castle. It's under renovation, so we can't see all of it. And then we're, we, you know, we got to get the train going back. We can't miss it because they're expensive. And so, we, you know, we're rushing back. And I'm thinking, oh, poor mom. You know, she's in Japan. She doesn't know any Japanese. We come back. She is sitting there talking to somebody. She finds the only person in the whole area that speaks English and they're engaged in a conversation. That's what she meets people and she talks to everybody. In fact, the kids and I, we all get together just for therapy, you know. Cause we're <laughs> but anyway, I mean, there's some people just like that. They're just really, really friendly and engaging people. And Philip was like that. Philip was one of those people that just, just loves people. And he talks to people. You know the first thing Philip did after he spent the night with Christ? The, the, the verse says it. The very next passage that goes up, Lydia's going to put it up in a minute. 
<laughs> First thing he did, he found his brother, Simon, and he said, we found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. First thing he did when he met Christ is he went and he brought his brother to Christ. Don't, don't overlook that. See? The impact that he had on his brother's life was such that he was able to lead his brother to faith in Christ, lead his brother to Christ. And that's a very good thing. Now, that's a great story. But not everybody's like Andrew. And I believe that's why we've got Philip. See? Philip is the other spec side of the, of the spectrum. Philip's the introvert, right? Philip's the person, you know, he's not an extrovert. He's, he's not outgoing. I don't know if you can say anybody's ingoing, but he's just not one of those outgoing people. He's very quiet, he's reserved, and, and as you'll see over time, he's calculating. He's one of those statistic-seeking people, you know, very priding of thinker, very analytical. You know, Philip's that guy, you know. Um, sometimes, you know, when you first get married, you know, and you have uh, friends, and they had a baby, and you come home, and you, you say uh, to your wife, uh, Josephine had the baby. And she says, what does she have? A, a baby. <laughs> right? Was it a boy or a girl? Um, I, I, I think it was a girl. Well, I mean, how much did the baby weigh? How, you know, how long was the baby? Is, is Josephine okay? And, and was John there? And, and, you know, all that kind of stuff that you can't answer. And you say to yourself, I don't know. And then she rolls her eyes, she walks away, picks up her cell phone, she got to get the skinny herself, because you don't know nothing, right? And it's like that. And you know, the next time somebody has a baby, you say, I ain't going home till I get all the information. Tell me everything, right? Well, some people are like that, but well, John, you know, Philip is that guy, you know. He comes home and he gives all the facts. Josephine had the baby, she had a girl, the girl was, you know, 20 pounds, a big one, and, you know, 21 inches, and, and John wanted to take pictures, but she gave him the look, and he didn't, and, you know, all the company, he cut the whole story, that's Philip, just one of those detailed kinds of people. Now, notice what the passage says here, when Lydia, it says, the next day, Jesus, he proposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. Now, I believe Philip was the other guy who was unnamed. It says two disciples. One was Andrew, but I believe the other was Philip. Why? I'll tell you in a minute. He says, he says to him, follow me. Now, see, there's no other reason for him to go to Philip and say, follow me, except that Philip had encountered him and spent time with him. Philip's that other guy. He says, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and what did he do? He found Nathaniel. Notice the difference. Now, Andrew said, we found the Messiah. End of story, period. Not Philip. We found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophet wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I mean, he's got all the details. And that's how he is, right? Nathaniel says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth, a little hick town. And what did he say? He said, come and see. Where did he get that from? Because that's what Jesus said to him. Come and see. see? Now, that's the thing. you got these two men. 
you got a really outgoing, gregarious guy who's able to reach his brother. And you got this really quiet, prodding, analytical guy, but he's able to reach his friend. And see, I think it, it doesn't matter which end of the spectrum you're on, God is able to still use you to reach people for Christ. It's not a personality thing. You don't have to be one of those really outgoing, friendly kind of people who everybody loves in order to reach people for Christ. You don't have to be that. You don't have to be a person who knows everything about everything and can quote all the Bible verses in order to reach people for Christ. You know, you're not called to be an expert. You're called to be a witness. And a witness just tells what they've seen and heard. And that's all God wants from you and from me. And so he puts these two types of people, he puts their story together. Now, there are a couple of principles to embrace. One, some people are easy to reach, and some people are not. So, you know, if you talk to a friend and they say, man, get that stuff out of here. That doesn't mean that you never tell anybody else forever. Some people are easy to reach, and some people aren't. So you just you just turn. In fact, you know, we were out calling one time and we were we knocked on the door and man, the guy just gave us a really hard time. And so I said to the people I was turning, said, Okay, let's go. You know, thank you for your time. And then we went right next door and we were able to share the gospel with somebody that came to faith in Christ. All right, see, if we had spent all that time arguing with the knucklehead with that person who wasn't wanting to hear it we would have run out of time and missed the divine appointment. See? Not everybody's reachable. Not everybody's reapable. So you just see, you don't want to hear it. I mean, that's, that's fine. And you just go on. And you reach the people that God enables you to reach. You don't have to try to reach everybody. And you don't need to be cute or clever. You just need to invite them to come to Jesus. That's what Andrew did. That's what Philip did. And that's all God wants me to do. Second thing, and for this second thing, I think we have to, to find our ones, we have to, we have to look with, with harvest eyes. You flip over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, there are a couple of verses. Actually, I put the verses up that, that I want us to cover for the sake of time. Uh, we, we won't spend a lot of time exploring the context. Um, Jesus, he looked up, and this was the, the, the uh, Passover season. As people were making their way uh, to Jerusalem, there's a lot of people gathering. And Jesus looked up, and he saw a large crowd coming to him. And so he says to Philip, he said, where are we going to get bread to feed all these folks? Now, it says he was just saying this to test him because he already knew what he was going to do. I mean, he wasn't asking because he was perplexed. He was just putting him to the test. And sometimes God does that, right? God puts you in a situation where you're saying, what in the world? I don't know how we're going to, you know, why does God put me in a situation that seems hopeless or helpless or hapless or whatever? You know, God already knows what he's going to do. And he's not asking you, to be the solution, now he's asking you to trust him so that you can see what he can do. And that's what he's asking Philip, what are we going to do? Philip says, man, 200 denarii, 
worth of bread is not enough to feed all these folk. I mean, just, just give everybody a little peace. We can't do it. See, he's looking at, at the crowd. But then Andrew, his comrade, his compadre, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, he says, well, you know, there's a little boy here. And he's got five barley loaves and two fish. Now, I mean, that's not a lot. But who, 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 who knew that there was a little boy there that had packed his lunch, and he figured it was going to be an all-day affair, so he packed two fish. He won when he first got hungry and won later. And five little barley loaves, because you know his friends were going to mooch off of him. You know, I mean, he's, he's prepared. You see, whereas... Philip sees the crowd, Andrew sees people, and he sees individual people. And so he sees a little boy there, and he says, hey, this is a boy. I mean, he doesn't have a lot, but he's got something, right? It's just a difference. Some people see, they look at, at all of the limitations and say, oh, it can't be done. But if you're going to have harvest eyes, you've you got to look beyond the limitations. You, you, the question isn't how bad does it look? The question is how big is our God? You know, sometimes people, they, they'll, they'll come up here to read the scripture. Well, I shouldn't say that. Sometimes people will get to a point where they can look out over the congregation and they'll see all the empty seats. They'll miss the people. They'll see all the empty seats and say, man, this is a small church. We don't have that many people. You know what I see when I look out? I see all these empty seats. And in my mind, I'm seeing the day when there's, they're all filled and so much so until we're already beginning to put money aside for our next building because this one's going to be too small. And we're going to have to go to double services to, to accommodate the people until we get the new building. So, I mean, that's what I see. Why? Because, because I, I serve a big God. And, and I remember when, when we were trying to get that building in Michigan. I, I remember sending our leaders by. I said, hey, I think, you know, God has a building for us because we were praying. Lord, if we have to move one more time, we move four times. Every time we move, we lost folks. And one of the leaders said, if we move one more time, we probably will have to close doors. They said, well, okay, we're going to pray for a building. Prayer meeting Wednesday night. All right, don't pray for anything else. We're just going to pray for a building tonight. And we started praying, Lord, we need a building. Lord, give us a building. The Lord spoke to my heart. Stop praying. I have a building for you. I told the congregation, okay, Lord said, stop praying. He's got a building for us. We got to just praise the Lord, allow us to fill it up. And met a guy, and the guy said to me, he said, we got this building. We ain't trying to sell our building. I'm like, okay, let's have lunch. <laughs> we went to lunch. We went to lunch a couple of times. Then one day he called me up, Pastor Smith, let's do lunch. I'm like, all right. We sit down, and he says, um, you know, I believe the Lord wants you all to have this building. Okay. So I send our leaders by. Look at the building. And they said to me, Pastor Smith, you crazy. We can't afford that building. Like, 
keep working. Called them together, and we all went over, and we met with their leadership team. And they let us tour the building. And they say, well, you like this building? They went, yeah. They say, would you like to, to have this building? And they got quiet. And they said, one of the leaders said, well, that would be nice. And they pulled out a contract. There you go. Sign it. If you'll just give us enough money to endow our missionaries for the next three to five years, the building's yours. They left everything in that building. That's a God thing. I mean, I didn't ask for that. I didn't know the Lord was going to do that. But he did it. So, you know, there's no limitations on God. You know, he can do exceedingly abundantly above. See, I've seen that. So, you know, I say, okay, Lord. You know, what, what Charles always tells us, won't he do it? <laughs> but you, you have to look beyond the limitations. And you have to look with harvest eyes and say, well, what does God want to do? What, what will God do? And then I get excited about that. Someone asked me, Pastor, do you get discouraged about things, you know, this or that? And they lifted a couple of things that could be concerning. And I said, no. You know, I keep the attendance. And, I, you know, I commit numbers to the Lord. There's a book called Numbers in the Bible, so he's obviously interested in numbers. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I mean, I keep track and, and who's here and who isn't and, you know, who hasn't been here in a minute and stuff. And um, <laughs> some of y'all looking down. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good, you know. But I'm just saying, you know, I, I, I just, I commit to the Lord what what I believe uh you know, I want to see him do this year. Last year I had a number in mind. He met the number. This year I have a higher number in my mind. What is God going to do? I don't know. But I believe he can. I believe he's able to do what I've asked him. So I ask, and I, I just believe he will. And that's just kind of how I look at things. You know, harvest eyes, you have to look beyond the limitations. Finding your one means learning how to look. And, you know, you have to look beyond the limitations. But not only that, it means working as a team. Working as a team. Now, this, this, John chapter 12, there's a very interesting situation. Jesus is teaching, and there's, there's a crowd around him, and then some Greeks show up. Now, they, they're probably really Greeks. They're not Jews who, who are in Greek cities. They're probably Greeks. Uh, but they haven't become proselytes, obviously. Um, but they, they've been drawn to Jesus. They, they, they're attracted. They've been drawn to Judaism because they've become convinced that, that the Jews have the truth. And so they, they're, they're pursuing, and now they understand that, that Jesus, there's something special and dynamic about him, and, and they want to see Jesus. Another reason I know that they're not Jews is because they asked to see Jesus. Now, the other folk were scared because the, the Pharisees and Sadducees didn't like Jesus, and they were in awe of the Pharisees and Sadducees. These Greeks didn't know any better. So they came up, and they, they were up to worship at the feast, 
And just like people who, who come to church, now they're, they're, not, they're not necessarily Christians, but they're interested. And they come to find out and to see and to learn. God is, is drawing them. And they want to see Jesus. They came to Philip. Why? Well, Philip's name, Philip has a Greek name. Philip is a Greek name. And he's from Bethsaida. Bethsaida is next to Decapolis, which is a Greek city, a Gentile city. And, and so there was always a lot of interchange between Jews and Greeks. And, and so Philip, with his Greek name and his influence, he was the guy to talk to. And so they come to him and they say, sir, we, we wish to see Jesus. They want to actually have a sit-down interview with Jesus. Now, Philip, I mean, he's the, the quiet guy, you know, and, and that's out of his comfort zone to talk to people. So what do you do? He came and he told Andrew. Andrew can talk to anybody. Andrew also is a Greek name, by the way. And Andrew and Philip together, they came and they told Jesus that the Gentiles wanted to talk to him. And, of course, then Jesus recognizing that now uh, the Gentile nations are coming to seek him. It's time for him to go to the cross. That's why he makes the statement afterwards. Now is the hour, the hour is, is accomplished. But, you know, I, I'm struck by the fact that when Philip was put on the spot and he didn't feel comfortable, he went to his friend Andrew and together they went to see Jesus. And that's important. See, I don't have to I don't have to think about what I can't do or I'm uncomfortable to do because I've got friends around me. I've got a family around me. And it's not just on me to do all of this stuff of reaching people. It, it, it's on us. We're, we're family. And sometimes, you know, you may not know what to say. You may not know how to say it. You know, you, you may be so intimidated that, that you don't even want to look the person in the eye. But you've got an Andrew who will talk to anybody. They would talk to the president. They would talk to the pope. <laughs> you know, they don't care. And you, you just need to, to link arms with that person, and together you can do what God wants done. You know, one of the best things that you can do for people that you know who don't know Christ is invite them into the fellowship of the body. You know why? Because right in this group, there is somebody that has an affinity for what they're going through. God is, he's worked it out so that, you know, if a person needs mercy, there's some people in here who have the gift of mercy. If a person needs resources, there are people in here who have the gift of giving. If there are people who have problems and they can't figure out what to do, there are people that have the gift of discernment. God has surrounded us with people who know what to do and how to do it. And so every need that anyone can have is found right here in the body. If, if we could just think beyond me, myself, and I, and thinking not in terms of me, but we, then we could get excited about what God wants to do. We need each other. And God has placed us together for each other. And we would accomplish the task together. See, together we, we can change the world. And I, I, really, I really like that. I remember the promise keepers used to 
They used to sing that song, right? I'm not going to sing the song. Don't worry. You know, don't get nervous. <laughs> but I'll read you the words. <laughs> it says, it says face to face, brother to brother, face to face, one friend to another, growing together. We're building the kingdom of God. Back to back, shoulder to shoulder, back to back, serving each other, working together. We're building the kingdom of God. Brother to brother, we'll strengthen each other and stand for the truth side by side. Brother to brother, we'll honor each other and stand on the kingdom on high. Back to back, warrior to warrior, back to back, defending each other, standing together. We're building the kingdom of God. It ends by saying, growing together, we're building the kingdom, working together, we're building the kingdom. Standing together, we're building the kingdom of God. What does God want? God wants me to reach my one. And I don't have to, I don't have to be Mr. Gregarious, Miss, Miss Outgoing, Miss, I can talk to anybody. I can, I can introduce them to the people people that we have right around us. I don't have to be so gun-shy because somebody may ask me a question I don't know. Just say, I don't know. But you know what? I know someone that might. And bring them around some of the brothers who are getting deep in the scriptures. You know, together we can do it. And that's what God wants us to do. I want you to, to think in terms not of me, but of we. Who's the one? that God would have you reach out to and bring into the kingdom of God. Father, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for caring. And Father, even as we, we think about the connections that we have, we are, we're like sequoia trees. And those trees, some of them grow to over 300 feet tall. But their roots only go down four or five feet. But the secret is, underneath the ground, sequoia trees only grow in rows, and they are all interconnected. As they connect one to another, they strengthen and stabilize each other. And that's what we are, the body of Christ. We stand together. We work together. We minister together. We win together. And we thank you for that, Father. Strengthen each one of us. So may we no longer think in terms of me, but we. May we stop seeking self-promotion, walking in fear and limitation. Help us to welcome the part that you would have us play in being fellow yoke persons, laboring together to accomplish all you will. We'll thank you for that. Father, I pray again, as always, should there be anyone here in our midst who uh, perhaps uh, is really confused about what we may be talking about? Because maybe, maybe they're, they can see Andrew having come to faith. Maybe they're more like Peter, but then Peter was brought to Christ. 
And maybe they're like Nathaniel, and maybe hearing about Christ, they have a decision to make. I mean, Nathaniel brought, excuse me, Philip brought Nathaniel to Christ. And Father, may it be that the person sitting with inquiry, hesitating between decision-making, may they realize the importance of coming to Christ, and that we love them, that we'll stand with them and by them, and we'll pour our lives into them to build them up, that they might be all that you had in mind when you brought them into the world. And we'll thank you for the privilege of doing that. We commit these things to you. Help us to walk in such a way as to bring honor and glory to you. We ask in Jesus' name.